Good morning, Third Street. He is risen. I'm with it. I'm with it. I'm with it. It is, uh, it is the highest honor and the highest privilege to be with you uh, this morning to preach the word of God on such a day as this. Many of you knew it was a big deal when you woke up and you realized that God put breath in your lungs, which means he has a purpose for you on this Resurrection Sunday. Many of you realized that this was a big deal when early on in your life for the very first moment, the Lord, you allowed for the Lord to enter into your life and you felt his presence for the first time, which was a symbol, a deposit, a guarantee of his resurrection. And for others, you realize it was a big deal when you walked in and saw me in a suit. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. Yeah. It takes a lot. It takes a lot. Even the shoes, right? It takes a lot to get me to this point. But I just want to point out that there's still no tie, which means my grandma's not here. All right? If you, uh, if you don't know me, uh, my name's Corey. I'm the lead pastor here at Third Street Community Church, and today I get the opportunity of preaching Super Bowl Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, and being able to celebrate this occasion with all of you. If you haven't been with us, uh, we've actually been going through the last few weeks uh, this series called Rise Above. Church, are you with me? Can you say Rise Above? If you haven't been with us, that's okay, because I promise you, you're going to catch what we're talking about this morning, but just to really, really briefly catch you up to where we're at in this point, the very first week we talked about Rise Above because we need to, to, to begin to focus on overcoming the resistance of the enemy between us and eternity. Right. We, we this is a concentrated effort because as we've been talking about through this entire year, we are suiting up, pun intended. We are armoring up in the presence of God for spiritual battle. But see, as we talked about in week one, there's a lot of these little battles that aren't ours to fight. And yet we get caught up in them, don't we? As we talked about last week. Sometimes in the heat of battle, we lose sight of what's important. And so it's important for us to, to fix our gaze on a picture of a future hope, a clear vision of what victory looks like in order to be able to overcome. As we read last week about Jesus' triumphal entry, we talked about how Jesus gives us a perfect picture of what our future is like as we walk and spend time with him. And this week, there is no other way to put an exclamation point on this series than to talk about the power that makes it all possible. To talk about the power that allows us to rise above. If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to join me in the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to go specifically to chapter 15, and I got to tell you that albeit as confusing as it may be your first time through, 1 Corinthians 15 is genuinely one of my favorite sections of Scripture. 
It's something that I constantly come back to because I believe it provides a wonderful picture of the main point. And while I'm going to give us a 30,000 foot overview of a good portion of Paul's writing in this chapter, for the sake of our reading together, I want to narrow in and focus specifically on eight verses that I believe very quickly and very directly get to the heart of what we're all doing here this morning. So we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to begin in verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed it in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, and that is this, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That Christ was buried, that, that Christ was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then he appeared to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. And then also, I want you to drop down to just verse 12, and this is the point that I want to talk about this morning. Now, if Christ is proclaimed raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? He's not here this morning to tell the story his way, although I'm positive he would affirm and agree that I'm giving it a faithful telling. But I remember a few years ago being in the gym with, with a, a whole gym full of our guys. And one, uh, one, one guy in, partic in particular, his name was Lloyd. We affectionately called him Lloyd Banks, though that wasn't his real name. Lloyd was standing right over there on the opposite side of that basket, right about where that trash can is, maybe just a little bit closer to me. And as everybody's kind of goofing off, doing a little, you know, do, doing whatever they want, whatever trick shots, whatever dunks, whatever in-between game shenanigans that, that we were about at the time, Lloyd calls out to me. I was sitting right here. Those of you who know, you know this was my spot, right? I'm sitting comfortably right here, and he calls out, hey, Corey, I, being irritated that he pulled me from the conversation that I was so deeply in. I'm like, what? He's like, come here. Watch what I'm about to do. Like, what? What are you about to do? Standing right over there by that trash can, he, said, he says, I'm going to underhand toss this basketball at that wall. It's going to bounce off of that wall and go into that hoop. I'm like, no, it's not. He says, put money on it. I said, I can't. I'm broke. But if I could, I'd put my house on it because there ain't no way you are underhand tossing that basketball at that wall, bouncing it off of that wall into that hoop. Ain't no way, right? I said, the ceilings are too, too low for one. You're too low for another. That part he wouldn't tell you. And there are many eyewitness accounts that day who would attest to Lloyd stepping up and on his first try, 
underhand tossing that basketball off of that wall into that hoop. The gym went crazy. No, our cameras don't work or else we would have had it. Yeah, that's a joke. Unless you're trying to steal something. Um, (laughs) For the next several weeks, for the next several weeks, I stood right where that trash can's at. And I tried to underhand toss the basketball off of that wall into that hoop. I tried it over and over and over for several weeks. As people, Every time I was in the gym and people would come in and they'd be like, bro, you crazy. Ain't no way you're underhand tossing that basketball off of that wall into that hoop. Ain't no way. But you know why they couldn't tell me nothing? Because I had seen it. I saw it done. You can't tell me or my pride not a one thing because I saw it done. And so I tried it over and over and over because I had seen it done. And I tried to execute just as I'd seen it done before. And in the midst of everybody telling me crazy, in the midst of even beginning to doubt myself, after weeks of being in this gym, trying over and over and over, finally... One faithful Tuesday morning, I stood right there. And I gave up. It was too hard. It couldn't be done. I have no clue how he did it. You know how much time I wasted on that thing? You know how much time I neglected? There were bills to pay. There was other things to do, and I couldn't waste not a one more day. I gave up. It was too hard. I don't know how he did it. Miracle of the Lord, for sure. But it's with that same energy. It's with that same energy that Paul writes this. I have to believe that as he's writing the 15th chapter of this letter, as he's writing this section, I have to believe that he's so intense in this moment that his hand is cramping as he's writing it. And And as he writes in verse 12, if I've seen it, how can you deny it? If Christ is raised from the dead, How can some of you say there is no resurrection? Allow me to make my main point this morning already. Allow me to make it perfectly clear. If Christ is risen from the dead, how can we possibly deny the ability to resurrect from our dead circumstances? Paul breaks this chapter down in a couple ways, one of which is is he goes on an entire discourse talking about life without the resurrection. From verse 12 all the way down to like verse 19-ish, somewhere in there, he's talking about if there's no resurrection, if Christ didn't get up, then you're still dead in your sins. If Christ didn't get up, then you're still in bondage to sin, which means the things that you've fallen into still hold you in chains. He says if Christ didn't get up, then you all and all who have come before you are still dead in your bodies. That means all of this, all of this will see you again someday. All of this, he's watching over me right now. All of this, I have to look forward to a a reunion in heaven. All of that, none of that. It's not happening. If Christ didn't get up, then neither has your loved ones. He says, if Christ didn't get up, then we as believers are dead in our hope. 
We're of the most to be pitied. If Christ didn't get up and all our hope for all of our lives is in this life alone, then that's pretty sad, isn't it? That's pretty sad because this life is broken. This world is hurting. And hurt people are hurting people everywhere around us. And here I am as a believer denying myself worldly ways of coping with it. Paul even goes on to say in one of my favorite passages of scripture, he's like, hey, if no resurrection of the dead, then come on, let's eat, let's drink, let's be merry because tomorrow we die. He said, if there's no resurrection of the dead, let me do whatever I feel. Let me do whatever you tell me feels good. Let me do whatever, whatever looks good because ultimately none of it matters. If no resurrection from the dead, then there is no hope. This, my brothers and sisters, is life without a resurrection. And my fear as I come to you this morning, my fear is that many of us here are living our lives without a resurrection. My fear is that many of us are trapped in the things that we struggle with. My fear is that, is that those things that, that we thought we would only do once have now become daily habits. The thing that we thought we had a hold on that we only participated in when we felt like now has a hold on us. My fear is that that place of dangerous dark thought loops and things that we struggle with things that we that we really really wrestle in that we just can't get a hold of if not for the resurrection if we live a life with no resurrection there's no hope of getting over it there's no hope of moving on if there is life without a resurrection then the loved ones we have lost are gone that ultimately someday will be gone. That there won't be a day to look forward to where we, we, we walk together with each other in perfect health, in perfect harmony. If we live a life without resurrection, the struggle we have in this broken world is all there is. We'll never beat the system. We'll never win the game. There's no hope. A life without resurrection takes us down a dangerous path. I'd like to point out for just a quick moment this morning that that's exactly what happened to Judas. Judas was a disciple. Jesus, Judas was a follower of Jesus. But Judas didn't believe Jesus to be who Jesus said he was. Because if he did, he wouldn't have done what he did. Judas betrayed Jesus. Judas gave away his location. Judas gave Jesus up for 30 pieces of money that's obsolete now. Judas betrayed Jesus, and when he saw Jesus unjustly tried, when he saw Jesus battered and beaten, when he saw Jesus crucified, guilt and shame took over his mental and he tried to take it back. He tried to go back to the very people and say, never mind, I don't want to do this anymore. And they were like, hey man, blood on your hands, it's over. And Judas wasn't able mentally to stick it out and to see the resurrection. 
Judas's guilt and Judas's shame. Judas's dark thought loops that he couldn't escape caused him to ultimately run out of town and take his own life because Judas wasn't able to experience the resurrection. Life without a resurrection leads us to destruction. But family, but family, Paul writes in verse 20, he says, but in fact, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He writes, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And he is just the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. In other words, God did it, and he's just the first one. God's going to keep doing it. In fact, Christ has been raised. And what ground does Paul have to say such a thing? What ground does he have to stand on? Remember the eight verses that, he read, that we read. He put it to us so plainly. He stands on the ground of hundreds of people and dozens of apostles, including Paul himself, who saw it with their own eyes. Amen. That Christ, in fact, has been raised. And if Christ, in fact, has been raised, then the good news that comes with that is that there is, in fact, forgiveness of sins. That means that there is, in fact, freedom from sin's chains and penalties. That means that there is, in fact, a new heaven and a new earth being built for us to live in eternity. That means that there is, in fact, purpose to our suffering. That it's not in vain because we're being built into something bigger than ourselves. Christ, in fact, has been raised. Imagine what that meant for Peter. Peter, who also betrayed Jesus. You remember the narrative? Jesus is like, Peter, you're going to betray me. He's like, nah, uh-uh, nope. Jesus is like, man, listen, you're not only going to betray me, you're going to do it three times. Peter's like, not three times, Jesus. Jesus is like, three times, Peter. Peter's like, no way. And then three times, Peter had the opportunity to prove himself right, but what was proven? Man, Christ was proven because he denied Jesus three times. Three times, I don't know it. Three times, wasn't me. Three times, uh-uh. Three times. And then he watched as the man that he followed for a few years of his life, a man that he dedicated everything to, a man that he believed in with his whole heart, a man that he believed to be true, to be who he said that he was was crucified and buried. Now the difference between Judas and Peter is you got to see it through, my boy. Peter got to experience the resurrection. Peter knew Jesus was who Jesus said that he was. So he got to experience the resurrection, which for Peter, this meant that there was forgiveness for his actions. 
There was forgiveness for his betrayals. This meant that he was able to overcome the guilt and the shame that came with doing exactly what Jesus said that he was going to do, but he denied that he would ever do. This meant that there is a place where death at the cross is not Peter's final memory of his Savior, but that there is a place where he'll get to follow him for eternity. This meant for Peter that the persecution that he faces, the haters that are in his way, all of the people that will throw rocks at him, all of the people that will try to hang him upside down, that the persecution that he would face is not for no reason, but that there is a deep and meaningful purpose in the life that he lives and in the message that he preaches. For Peter, there is redemption. Church, there is a purpose for us in the resurrection. For us, the resurrection is a forgiveness of our wrongdoing. For us, the resurrection is the ability to rise above and walk forward from our shame and our guilt. For us, the resurrection is the opportunity and the ability to look forward with hope to a day where there is no more pain, to a day where there is no more sorrow, to the day where there are no more tears, where there's no more hurt, where we no longer live in a fallen and broken world that can take us out at any second. For us, the resurrection is being a part of a kingdom and a day of perfection. For us, the resurrection is a life with meaning that the world has no answer for. You want to know why everybody's got such cruddy advice? It's because they don't know what you're on. They don't know nothing. The world doesn't know nothing about the kingdom that God is building you into. The world doesn't recognize what God is doing to you by making you a living stone and building you into a temple that is so much bigger than ourselves. For us, the resurrection is a full and total 100% redemption of the dark places we found ourselves in. A life with a resurrection has deep, purpose now in verse 34 Paul says one of my favorite things I say that a lot but I mean it every time in the moment when I say it verse 34 Paul says so here's what I want you to do wake up says I need you to go ahead and wake up from what from your drunken stupor. He says, wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and what? And do not go on sinning. Wake up from your drunken stupor. Do not go on sinning, because some of you clearly have no knowledge of God, and I say that to your shame. Here it is. Here's the difference. Because I'm going give to this, give this one to you for free. Christ got up either way. Jesus resurrected whether you believe it or not, right? Jesus got up for all the folks that are like, okay, I accept that. Let's go, right? Jesus got up either way. Christ's resurrection has no condition on your acceptance. However, the condition of your life does have conditions on your acceptance of his resurrection, right? So here's the difference. 
The difference between life without resurrection and life with resurrection is your answer to this question. Do you know him? Do you know him? Do you know Christ to be who Christ says that he is? Judas didn't. He had doubts. Peter knew. Do you know him? Do you know him to be the redeemer of your life? Do you know him to be your provider? Do you know him to be your guidance? Do you know him to be your deliverer? Do you know him to be a chain breaker? Do you know him to be the Prince of Peace? Do you know him? Because as Paul points out, my fear is that a lot of us are trying to wipe our eyes from a haze, from a, from a drunken stupor, if you will. I ain't coming after your alcohol consumption necessarily, although if that convicts you, then huh, deal with it. But I'm coming for whatever is influencing you away from God. I'm coming for whatever is preventing you from fully living into the resurrection plan that God has had for your life from the beginning. I'm coming for whatever influence and whatever voices are telling you that it's not possible, that it didn't happen, that it can't happen, that you won't get up, that you're dead in your sin, that you're not going to keep on going, that there is no hope for tomorrow. I'm coming for whatever influences keep you in that dark thought loop. I'm coming for whatever influences keep you up at night. I'm coming for whatever influences tell you that you're not enough. I'm coming for whatever influences tell you that Christ can't use you. I'm coming for whatever influences tell you that you'll never measure up. I'm telling you for whatever influences are telling you that you cannot do what God has put on your heart to do. Paul says, ain't nothing to it but for you to wake yourself up. Because that ain't it. You're the one listening to him, not me. You're the one living in that, not Jesus. What is influencing you? What is clouding your view of God? What is leading you further away from the resurrected Savior? What are the influences that are telling you you can't be resurrected from your present circumstance? Because let me tell you something for free right now. That ain't God. Whatever's telling you you can't overcome is not God. Whatever's telling you it's too much to rise above, that's not God. Our God, our God got up. Our God got up and is so dang generous. If you were really with me, you'd say, how generous is he? Our God is so dang generous that when he got up, he passed on the power for you to get up too. Our God is so generous that when he got up, he said, man, this ain't enough. I mean, all the sin is dead, right? All the chains are broken, but my fear is that word hasn't reached all people that they don't got to live in those chains no more. My fear is that there's systems of oppression that are going to continuously tell people that they have to live as slaves, but that's not true anymore. My fear 
is that people will continue to live in bondage even though I've clearly declared with the resurrection of my life that you don't have to. God is so generous. He made a way for you to get up too. I wouldn't believe it if I hadn't been a part of it. If he hadn't done it in my life. If he hadn't done it in some of your lives. I wouldn't be up here. Not a good enough reason to wear a suit if I don't believe it. So you got a decision to make. You have a decision to make. Do you want to continue to live your life without a resurrection? Some of you accepted the truth of the resurrection long ago, but have yet to let the transformation of the resurrection impact your heart. You can continue with a life without resurrection, but whether that will ultimately lead to you is the same destruction we see our brother Judas fail. That ultimately that dark place will take over. That dark place will win. And you'll cease to exist without hope. Or, or you can align yourself with that crispy, dewy, chilly Sunday morning. You can live a life with resurrection. Live into Peter's story where he's forgiven. His story's redeemed. And the influence and the impact of the things that God had him do will never die. That can be you too.